social impact work and with digital, you kind of choose where it goes. You get to play a role, you get to volunteer, you get to give, and you get to kind of leave that as a bit of a cliffhanger that can allow you to pull people in and engage them. And they can choose to go different places. So it's no longer this idea of just a funnel. I think even that terminology alone is pretty outdated. I think you should look at your engagements more as a kind of mesh or a network of sorts where if people choose to go in one direction, engage in the personal heartfelt story side of things, you can go that way and learn about somebody or you can take the statistical route. You just have to allow people to kind of bounce around, choose what interests them, um, but always have a way to bring that back into what you need them to do. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, Gabe sits down with Javin Van Grunigan from 50 and 50. He's the founder and creative director there, and it's a digital marketing agency for nonprofits and purpose-driven brands, and they help do brand strategy, campaign strategy, and web design and development. But more than that, Javin has a vision for how organizations can tell stories and connect people to the work that they're doing in the world. He's previously worked very closely with the team over at Invisible Children and has an incredible array of experience. The conversation between Gabe and Javin sways from everything on how do you build the right systems to thrive in today's world. Also, what are the core elements of a digital strategy and how do you tap into digital in a way that really bridges the gap between your supporters and your story? It's a great conversation, so let's listen in. We're going to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about uh, digital fundraising in particular. Uh, You live in that world on the agency side and the technology side. So I'm interested to hear your your insights, um, especially in in the midst of sort of uh, COVID-19 and kind of the disruption we've seen in the world in general, but in particular the giving space. So uh, as you think about digital fundraising strategy, like why why is it so important for nonprofits to kind of get their act together in terms of digital fundraising? Yeah, I think Corona, you know, this season with everything that's going on, I think is a good way to illuminate uh, the two kind of worlds that we live in. We have our real world that most of us, you know, obviously operate in when it comes to events and it comes to, you know, interactions with people in the day to day. And then there's this, this digital world and, and not everybody uh, necessarily participates in that as much, but the idea of being able to engage via your phone, via your computer um, and for nonprofits and for the work we do in the social enterprise, it's, it's finding volunteers, finding donors. And what this season is teaching us, if anything, is how different those two worlds are, the impact uh, that uh, something like this can have in the real world um, and how, though there is impact, how different that impact can be in a digital space. And what that means is that you've got two areas that your business can operate. And the people that we're seeing succeeding right now are those who have been investing in both of those places because they could, I wouldn't say easily, but more easily shift what they're doing maybe with events or with um, in-person communications and drive that over to this digital space where they can still operate. Now, it's I said not easy and a lot of the effects, things like the economy are going to impact both of those worlds, but 
but digital, if anything, is at least a plan B, a place you can go to keep the wheels turning. Um, but for a lot of organizations that are succeeding today, digital is becoming a large part of their 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 plan A, their main operating methodology, because you can reach so many more people. You can tailor the message to people specifically, uh, and you can monitor that. You can see what's working, see what's not working. And those are just pieces of the equation that you just don't have in a lot of the print material um, and a lot of the offline elements. They're a lot harder to track. So I think um, even just for those reasons alone, it's really important that organizations get a digital presence and really uh, find a way to do that really well. That's great. I think, uh, well, I want to dive into some of those sort of practical tactics that that nonprofits can begin taking even now to build out that strategy in the midst yeah. of COVID. Um, before I get there, I know you guys are, are big into just storytelling in general and kind of connecting um, supporters with story in meaningful ways. So does, does using digital kind of change how we communicate story or how should we think about sort mm-hmm. of connecting supporters with our story on digital? Yeah, for us, and with my background, uh, creatively, I think that story and narrative is so important in anything that you do. And you look at even for-profit brands, um, you know, you look at Nike, you're buying a shoe, but you're buying so much more. You're buying into this narrative that uh, that with that product, you're going to be a better runner. You're going to do something different uh, and it's going to make you happy. And I think when you then pull the product out of that kind of buying behavior, all you have is that story. How is it going to make you feel and how is it going to help somebody else? And is that intrinsically going to create value in your life and value in somebody else's life? So for us, that social storytelling is, is everything. That's the product that we sell. Um, in digital, I think that there's a bit of a choose your own adventure and that's what kind of makes it interesting is, you know, you watch a movie, you have no control over where that goes. You have the setting and the characters and that kind of plays out and you get to participate and watch it unfold. Uh, but with social impact work and with digital, you kind of choose where it goes. You get to you get to play a role, you get to volunteer, you get to give, um, and you get to kind of leave that as a bit of a cliffhanger that can allow you to pull people in and engage them and they can choose to go different places. So it's no longer this idea of just a funnel. I think even that terminology alone is pretty outdated. I think you should look at your engagements more as a, as a, you know, on a, on a mesh or a network of sorts, where if people choose to go in one direction, engage in the personal heartfelt story side of things, you can go that way and learn about somebody, or you can take the statistical route. You just have to allow people to kind of bounce around, choose what interests them, um, but always have a way to bring that back into what you need them to do. And whether that's giving or, you know, starting a workplace program, you kind of got to have your eye on the prize and kind of let people go where they want to go and then bring them back to what you need them to do. Yeah. I, that's so insightful. It's, Funny that you said choose your own adventure. Uh, we were talking with a, a fundraiser the other day and actually brought up the old choose your own adventure books that we had as a kid. Yeah. It's just such a perfect analogy for what a modern donor experience should look like. And even if you look at brands in the for-profit space, um, it's really been a shift to buyer journeys where the buyer owns their own journey. Like they're moving along at the pace they want to move along, engaging with what they want to engage with. And and if you're going to be committed to sort of donor-centric fundraising, there has to be this acknowledgement that to be donor-centric, the donor has to own their own journey. Like yeah, it, you're not dictating next steps based on your timing or, hey, we, we have to get our November appeal out 
like this is the thing they need to hear, right? You're mm-hmm. sort of allowing them to chart their own course, which can be scary as a nonprofit because you sort of you lose a little bit of control in that. But what you create is is far more engaged donors in the long run. And so that's I love that insight. I think the idea of you know, historically, this idea of like bumper bowling, where all of your communications to them are just trying to keep them in the lane and keep them coming back and hitting the pins and giving to you, you know what I mean? And now I think it's, you have the technology and the elements to be able to not force them to do that, but to let them go where they want to go to leave that, you know, leave that lane, leave that bowling alley, go somewhere else. And you follow them there, whether that's the piece of your social media or that's remarketing or that's some of your really creative ways that you can partner and rebrand, co-brand, you know, campaigns with people. It's letting them go where they want to go and just make sure you're there and you're in those conversations in those different places. And and with a good analytics setup, you can kind of know where they're going, invest in the places where they're going and kind of keep them wrangled back to you, um, you know, in, in a much larger ecosystem. Yeah. I think that's great. One of the things we've talked a lot about too is, is being um, at least prescriptive in potential paths. And so when you're reading a choose your own adventure book, it's not like you can at a point completely make up the plot you're on your own. Right. In fact, that feels like intimidating and I didn't really want to write a book here. I just wanted to be entertained. And so at donors kind of the same way in that um, they do need sort of, uh, directional help, but, but with choices within that, right? So to say like, hey, other people that have engaged with this, these are a couple of things that they've enjoyed doing next. And you sort of give them options, right? So they still have a path they can go down, but you're presenting options. And so they're owning that, but you're being prescriptive enough to sort of let them know what the options are. And that's a really good balance to kind of, you know, I think, uh, to use your analogy, keep them in the lane without having to use bumpers all the time, sort of giving them control to stay in the lane on their own, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can go too far and and choice paralysis is definitely real. And you recognize that even in a donation form where, you know, you and I both kind of operate in this space where we both know, you know, every field starts to just take your, your conversion rate down and down and down. Cause it's just one more thing to think about one more distraction. And so simplicity is important. Um, and again, the, the story still has to have a very clear resolution. So it's not that you let them leave where you want them to go. It's just that they can move around. And if you think back to those books, there is always an ending, no matter where you went, it always comes back. So I kind of tend to think of the diamond shape where you let them go out to what they're interested in, but still to come back to this idea that in the end, no matter where you wanted to go, this is the specific thing that we need from you. And there's the idea of, of delivering value to them and letting them learn and understand and get value out of the, the value that you can put in their life. If that makes sense, you have something to give them, which is giving them worth and giving them a story to join into. So let them go and feel that and understand that and bond to that and then come back to what you need. And whether that's just an email address because you want to talk to them later or it's an actual financial commitment, you need to pull the options out in terms of, uh, you know, the different places they can get lost and rather always give them a ton of content that they can come back to the core thing that you need. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Well, let's get, let's get practical kind of, you know, where the rubber meets the road around this stuff is, is if I'm, if I'm trying to build out a more robust digital strategy today, 
um, what are, let's talk about kind of what channel should I be looking at first and how should I think about those channels? And then we can dive into some specific tactics. So, so what are the primary channels where you guys are seeing success today that I should really worry about as a fundraiser? Yeah. So covering your bases around the core fundamental things that you need to be doing. And I, and I would probably argue that more often than not, it's doing these things well versus jumping to, let's say, TikTok or some new crazy tool that you have to get familiar with and build an audience with. A lot of these older channels can just be done a lot better than they are today. So your website, is it, you know, is it responsive? Is it mobile first? Can everybody get to it? Can everybody use it? Is it flexible? Can you spin up a COVID page in 48 hours? Um, can you track people through it? Can you use, you know, Google, you know, tag manager to recognize who's coming and who's valuable and who's not? Um, email is still huge as much as it's, you know, as a designer, so limited and it's hard for me to be excited about email because it's just, it's a, it's a system game where you have to make it compatible with so many things and it still feels fairly old fashioned, but so much traffic can be driven um, with a good consistent um, email strategy and content strategy, your blog, getting content out there, relevant content out there that um, will drive SEO. It will also drive link backs and just page authority and all sorts of things that we see a lot of people just not doing those baseline elements. And, And honestly, we've, We've fallen into that trap as a business too. I mean, you know, our channels have been neglected as we have had seasons of being busy and not needing, you know, a new project. But then, you know, when something like this happens and you're not investing in that on a consistent basis, then you get in trouble. Um, Social media, and that's always a moving target. That's where you have so much innovation in that space as people go from one platform to another or you have... Instagram launching new functionality or storyboard, you know, a story functionality on different platforms. And like I said, video and, and you have to know your audience and know where they are. I wouldn't go everywhere, but I would hyper-focus on, you know, if your target is primarily on Facebook, invest in Facebook. And if it's really young and they're cutting edge and yeah, you might have to get into products like TikTok or, um, you know, invest more in Instagram, things like that. Um, so I would say getting those baselines working and operating well, like I said, make sure the asks are, are clear. If people have spread out and are now engaging with you in those different places, be clear about what you want them to come back and do. And also don't always have an ask, you know, kind of keep things, um, value generating for the end user, I think is a really important piece as well. So those baselines, I think are really, really important. Um, I'll pause there, see if there's anything you want to add to those. Otherwise I can keep jamming. No, I think it's, it's so great. I mean, I think one of the, the big things there that we see consistently is, and this translates to email, social, everything you're doing, but I think you know, your website is the easiest place to look at it, where if, if I go to your website, is that website about you as an institution or is it about the impact that you're having because of me as a donor, right? Yep. And so if I go to like a Nike running website or Apple website, it is very aspirational and it is very much about uh, allowing that visitor to align themselves with a story bigger than themselves. So it's really yeah. about the person who shows up at the site, not about the institution. I mean, I'm not getting yeah. full news when I go to the Apple website, right? So yeah, really looking at it through the lens of, of does it accomplish that? Of does it is it donor centric and does it give the donor options for different ways to engage is a big part of it. 
Yeah, definitely worth considering, you know, do you want to make the, the, the feature-based argument or the benefit-based argument? You know, the features, you know, of a product of we can do, we can customize and you can add your own fields and there's API connections. And it's like, do they want to hear that? Or do you want to hear peace of mind managing your donors? Do you want to hear, you know, raise more money online guaranteed? It's the benefit to you, you know, less training for your staff. Those are the benefits of that product versus the features. And I think the nonprofit world gets into the same you know, um, you get into kind of that rabbit hole of, of being specific about what you do. We specifically provide meals and we do this and we do this and we do this. And that's harder sometimes to, to, to emotionally connect with a donor. You want to jump over to the other side and say, okay, when you do that, what happens? Thousands of people are fed. Children are protected from becoming child soldiers. What's on the other side of the work you're doing is oftentimes a much more interesting story than the way in which you're getting it. Yeah, that's so great and, and so important and on every channel, right? I mean, that has to be your tone on every Absolutely. channel. And we encourage people to just something as simple as like ask more questions than you ask for money when you're on social. Like your post, you should have more question marks in your post than you have give me money post. And so soliciting yeah. that real feedback and, and, and starting a conversation that you can be engaged in rather than just driving to the gift. Yeah, I think the, the, the most helpful thing I've used that is really easy to understand is around this idea of, of just a, a ratio. When you're putting posts out there, nine out of those 10 posts should be creating value to the end user. Yeah. And then one out of 10 of those should be an ask. Yeah. And oftentimes you see it the other way around. Where it's like, hey, give to us, give to us, give to us, volunteer with us. Hey, we need your help. Oh, by the way, here's a cool story. And it should go the other way as much as you can. Here's a story. Here's a statistic. Here's a beautiful thing happening here. Why don't you meet our, you know, one of our strategists? Why don't you meet one of the, you know, country leaders? It's all information for you to understand what the organization is doing. Then when that donation ask comes by, you feel bonded and, and, and close to that brand. I think that kind of ratio of giving to taking has to be much more balanced than the side of the person who you're going to ask for. Uh, a donation from yeah yeah and i think the the struggle there and, and great fundraiser i think there's truth to this is you, you have to you have to ask right i mean you like you um and uh, it sort of gets away from the fundamentals of fundraising where you, you have to ask early you have to ask often and people that ask raise money people that don't ask don't raise money it's just sort of been proven time and time again. The difference is, is if you can deliver value before you ask and deliver value after you ask, two things happen. People move from, from just giving because they're, they're tipping and they want to assuage some guilt and they just want to check a box yeah. to, to being so engaged in the story. Now they're giving very, very generously. So average gift goes way up. And yeah. the other thing is total donor value goes way up because now it's not just like, set it and forget it and maybe they'll give it to you again but now their heart is wrapped around your cause and they're going to give again and again and they're not going to shut up and they're going to tell their friends about it and so it's not yeah. that it's some touchy-feely thing just delivering value but delivering value to donors is a real way to expand generosity over time because an engaged donor who really gets it is better than one that was just checking a box yeah absolutely i mean i, I think that you have to recognize that there is a transaction to be made. And that's what an individual needs to do to be bound to your story and to feel good, that kind of virtue signaling of, Hey, I think this is a great thing and I'm going to 
I'm going to give to it, whether it's for myself or because I want to, you know, show others or, you know, there's, there's all sorts of theories on why we're altruistic, but I, I think being vague doesn't help anybody. I think if you say that story and you put it out there, I, you know, it is a big mistake. A lot of people make is they choose to just make their website an information hub rather than a conversion center. People are going to come here and you have to put value to a visitor. You have to build that equation that says how many people are, are, my reaching, how many people are coming, how many people are engaging and then signing up to hear more about us. And eventually you get all the way down to the end of that. And if you don't have clear line of sight to the end and clear willingness to ask people to get there, it's not a business anymore. I think you have, you have to think of it that way. Otherwise you're not going to be sustainable. And that's a challenge for nonprofits and social projects. They're expensive. They're, they're, there is no product you're selling. So it's a hard sell. It's an expensive sell because they get nothing physically. Um, it, you know, so you have to be thinking of your revenue stream and how you're going to capitalize on those people. Um, but to do it in an authentic way, I think you can't, you, yeah. I know they kind of feel like they're dueling each other, but yeah. And, and it's like, I think a battle for all of us that are in this industry is you do it because your heart tugs you in that direction. And it's the same reason you donate because your heart tugs you in that direction. Um, But you also have um, the competing side of that, which is you have a business to run and you have, and I think the way to to resolve that is to say, look, if I make decisions that grow this business, that's a, it's a win for the planet. It's a win for the people who we support. And so take the recipients of your funds seriously and, 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 run it like a business so that the pie that you're dishing out, the amount of money you can dish out is going to be bigger in the long run. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's so important. I mean, I think there's among some folks, there's been a sentiment that sort of hardcore math based fundraising optimization um, is, is mercenary in some way, or it's like, we just care about, you know, sort of the, the emotional side and donors who want to give will give. And by, by looking at, you know, conversion rate and click through rate to gift conversion, that's just, that math just takes the life out of it and it makes it a mercenary thing. And that's not who we are. But I think the, the opposite is true. Like if you're sending out stuff and nobody's clicking on it and nobody's converting, not only are you not able to raise the money you need to do the work you're doing, but more importantly, you're not honoring the donor. Like those those signals of like who's engaging, how they're engaging, are they converting, are they getting value, are they acting? That's a signal of how well you're serving your donors. Yeah. And if your donors are just sort of, or potential donors are just sort of passively flying by or checking out, like that's not doing them any good either. Like they people want to be generous. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And you have to be able to measure how well you're doing that. Yeah, it's a, I can see how it can go wrong if you go too far and it's, you know, you're getting really heavily into, you know, mass blanketing paid advertising and things like that. But I think you have to recognize that there is an, is an area where there's a lot of low hanging fruit that you should be going in, looking at your analytics, recognizing what's resonating with your users. And, you know, if, if your goal is impact, you should do the due diligence of recognizing what that email header should be or where some paid advertising should go. Because it's, again, going back to that last point, it's going to put more money on the ground to the cause that you're supporting. And so big gray, like I said, big gray area in the middle. I mean, that you can you can go crazy with it and you can spend a ton of time in you know, spreadsheets 
spreadsheets and analytics and getting down to the cost per click for every ad and all of that stuff. And um, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer to that, but at least get a little bit, get your feet wet, get up to your knees in terms of when we send this out, who's actually giving, try to get some understanding of you get a lot of traffic to your website. Do you know anybody, anything about them? Do you know which, you know, demographics are clicking, which ones are giving where they are and, you know, what platforms are coming from. Like that's just stuff you, you need to know where you're just, you know, you've got a megaphone in an empty room. That's not going to help anybody. You got to find out what room people are in, what room has the people in it that want to listen to you. And then you got to get there, Mm. pick that megaphone up. Yeah. That's uh, such a great insight. And I I love the analogy of a megaphone in an empty room. Um, Mm. So powerful. Uh, well, I, I want to kind of end our time here just talking about some of the the sort of specific examples that you've seen work really well. I know there's been some people that have got, done a good job pivoting during COVID um, with uh, digital. I'd love to hear what you've seen that folks around you are doing really well and, and specific tactics you've seen work. Probably a little early to say, hey, this is this has succeeded. You know, I think people are still in the boat of, you know, trying to maintain who they are as, as organizations and move really quick. But I can say that, the, you know, the, the big themes I feel like have been around pivots. And so I can talk about a few pivots we've watched organizations take and then just getting creative. And so from a pivot perspective, you know, I think there are industries that have completely overhauled. And the, the best example I can think of is churches. Churches are absolutely different now than they were two months ago. Um, can't meet in person, you know, the, the lifeline of their revenue has completely shifted to online. I've seen a lot of them do that really, really well, where they're still engaging, they're using Zoom and they're using, um, you know, a lot of pre-recorded content. They're going old school. They're going to phone calls. They're soliciting just, hey, because we can't be face-to-face, we're going to say, what's the next best thing? We're going to call every person, you know, that comes here. We're going to put every asset that we have online. And so I think, as an industry, I think religious groups, um, groups that are typically meeting in community have done a really good job of pivoting. Um, another one that uh, an employee of ours volunteers with is called Girls on the Run. Um, they're typically getting um, just uh, uh, underserved communities out and running and physically active. And of course, that's you know meeting in groups and doing runs. And they've now gone virtual with online trainings and they're doing a virtual 5K. Um, so again, it's that pivot. We're all you know looking at Okay, let's take everything online. I think these groups are doing it really well. Um, Rediff is a is an organization that we work with around. Uh, they're kind of keying this term of employee social enterprise around getting people back to work from uh, post incarceration, drug addiction, things like that, and helping businesses employ and facilitate a relationship with those type of individuals. And for them, you know, it's just a pivot of a campaign we're working on to say, Hey, thank you. This is working to, Hey, we now have this brand new need, you know, now one in five people are unemployed and and that's going to make it even harder for this part of the community that needs a little extra support and getting back to work. And so it's a shift towards, you know, it was going to be a thank you. And now it's, Hey, thank you. This is working. We know this works in the community, but now we need to go further. Something has happened and we're midstream with that and just taking, you know, three or four steps backwards and rethinking our strategic brief and saying, this is the point of this now. And let's put this back out on the market because like I said, two months ago, this world was completely different. Mm. Um, you know, our work with United Way, I think we're toying with this idea of, of changing their donor segments. So this 
brought a whole new segment of people out into the, in, into the fold in terms of donors. And these are donors who are giving specifically to care about this one thing. It's a response to um, the, the coronavirus and how it's affecting our community and how people have lost their jobs. And now we have a, a track for that. And we don't want to just blanket them with, Hey, we help with financial stability or we help with, with, um, you know, uh, you know, healthcare, health coverage. There's, there's all sorts of pillars that the organization works within, but this is one that's off to the side. And now we have that kind of new group to, to communicate with as well as there's a new, series of of people in need and so that's a whole nother track that you need to recognize that you may have um, a totally new element of your business around supporting people and they may need communication as well um i thought it was really cool that the un through through the who the world health organization fired out like a global rfp i don't know if you guys saw that but it was pretty much like a to all agencies make some amazing creative around promoting covid safety i thought that was a really cool way to just say hey um, we all have a role to play. Here's something that we think needs to be out there. Go at it. Um, shout out to a local organization to, to cut water. They're a, a beverage company, but they decided to transition one of their plants here in San Diego to just cranking out hand sanitizer and just distributing it to all the hospitals. I mean, people have been doing so much cool stuff. And I think to go back to what all organizations can do, just find your version of your COVID story. I think, you know, we talked about that in a podcast about a month ago, just, you can't go on business as usual and pretend that you're just going to go make a, a call to action and a donation and pretend like COVID's not there. You have to figure out whether it's, you know, Hey, we're, we're affected, you know, we're working from home, but we're doing everything we can, or it's, we now have a heightened need due to this. You find how it wraps into your story and then get out there and start talking because there are people there that are ready to help and ready to support. They just need to see how you're going to be a good fit for what they're looking to accomplish. Yeah, so I mean, I love those examples. I think one of the biggest um, sort of areas where nonprofits can focus on being successful there is just an attitude of scrappiness and a willingness to fail fast. And so it, it's so hard to guess what's going to work and what's not going to work. This is true even outside of COVID, by the way. Yeah. Um, digital moves really fast. Um, the world is changing really fast. If it takes you six months to plan a new digital program and then a year to execute it, by the time it's launched, it is already irrelevant and it may not have ever been relevant anyway, right? Yep. And so the mentality, and I, COVID is, is a great way to amplify this and force your hand to get this practice in place, but work in two-week sprints, like figure out a little bit of money. Hey, we think, we think this message is going to really resonate with people. Awesome. Can we spend like, 400 bucks on Facebook ads in the next two weeks yeah. testing these two messages to see if this works or not. Yeah. Or if we send an email and it was a massive failure, awesome. We learned what our donors don't care about. We won't do that again. Like pivot and do the next thing, right? And so it's a it's this attitude of like iterate fast, you know, fail fast, learn fast, and and get scrappy. And it's amazing what you can learn and accomplish in a short amount of time. Yeah, we and you and I have talked about this too. I mean, some of that content is is short lived. I mean, you're putting things out there and it's up and down really quickly. And and you and I have a an element of craft to us that we don't. I want to spend weeks on that messaging and I want to make every ad perfect and every site. And it's like you work with any you know paid advertising group, marketing group, and they need to be pumping out thirty or forty of those a day, a week, whatever it is. You have to recognize the time. Um, you know, keep that stuff simple, get stuff out there, 
test it, start to understand what's working. And then over time, you can start to hone in on, okay, this is what works. This is the style and the messaging that's going to be out there for the next six months. Let's start to put some effort and time into that. I think so many people are used to this idea of like, okay, we're going to run that by the board. We have to, you know, really fine tooth comb every variation of this, you know, marketing language and paid ad language. And, you know, we, you can't move fast. You need to get out of that room let that stuff get out in the world and be tested, figure out what works and then start to kind of narrow that down. So it's, it's, it, it was a journey even for myself to recognize what I was used to five years ago is stuff that's permanent. You build a website, I shouldn't say permanent, but you know, you're talking about something being out there for a few years that takes a lot of time. And now you got stories disappearing in a day. So how do you adjust your expectations around process to get that stuff out there at that speed? It's just, quick digestible and and oftentimes just hard to to build a new process where you can move that quickly i think there's like overcoming institutional inertia at nonprofits can be really really hard especially if the organization's a little larger they've been around a while even the idea of of just cranking out content at that pace and testing that fast can feel a little bit scary i would say one thing that we've seen successful is if you can sort of position, let's call it an R&D lab at your nonprofit. And so now you don't have to change everybody's mind. You don't have to build consensus. You just get permission to use a couple of people and a little bit of money off to the side yep. to test and validate ideas, right? So now you're not having to get board approval. You're not having to build sort of organizational change management. And then what you can do is you can test, try stuff, do different yep. messaging, and then just instead of now you can come back to the whole team with the results. And so you can say, hey, when we did this, we saw giving increase by 300%. And then it's hard for everybody not to want to get on board with that, right? So as much yep. as you can think about not, not how do we change our entire organization today, but how do we just peel off a little bit to begin testing and moving fast and validating these ideas? I think it's really useful. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, a lot of work we did with United Way and United Way Worldwide was around this idea of creating a little digital services group mm-hmm. um, and kind of allowing a little bit of a different process where we got to put things out there and test and, and not have to necessarily go through um, every part of the marketing department, every part of the approval process. We kind of said like the whole point of this group over here is to create campaigns that we can do cross market and we can collaborate with the United ways in different cities and pump out a lot of creative. And that was a lot of emails and a lot of social, a lot of little landing pages um, that just tested the water with what are people doing and how are people responding? And I think it was a great way to, to, to move at a different speed. And again, come back and say, Hey, we sent this many emails. Here was our open rate. Here's what people did. Here's how much money it raised. Now you know what the little digital services group can do. And so I think that that's a great, a great model, especially for larger organizations is to just create a little, uh, you know, little acronym that's going to be a little operating team and, and allow them to have a little bit of a different process than you're used to because fitting digital into, um, uh, you know, a, a, a print or a traditional uh, process when you have PR and you have, board approval and you have a, it's just not going to move fast enough. And it's just going to take you that much longer to get where you need to go. The faster you can test and get it out there, the quicker you can get to profitable with the work you're doing. 
Well, Javin, this has been incredibly valuable. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to have this conversation. Um, So many great examples and insights that I know are going to be helpful to people. So thanks so much for joining us. As we go, um, you want to tell everybody kind of where they can find out more about you? Yeah, sure. So like you said, there's two businesses I'm managing, uh, 50 and 50. That's F-I-F-T-Y, A-N-D-F-I-F-T-Y.org for the uh, agency services. And then uh, Donately is uh, donate.ly. And uh, either one of those URLs you can head to and find some information about us as an agency or as a fundraising product. It's amazing. Javin, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 